Our sermon passage for today comes from Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest, as he had said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So our Father and our God, our prayer this morning is this. Would you, by your Spirit, speak your word to your people? Lord, I'm not asking that I would preach a good sermon. I'm not asking that the next few minutes would be pleasing to the ear. I'm not asking that I would be winsome. I'm asking that your word would flow through me to your people, which means I'm asking you to speak, as I know you're eager to do, and I'm asking you to cause the minds and the hearts of your people to hear and to believe and to receive and to be changed. So Lord, ultimately, we're praying for that which we should call miraculous, that we would leave here different people than we entered here, that we would leave here confident in Christ and laying down all of our pretending and all of our posturing and all of our efforting to earn your love because I am praying we would leave here believing that Jesus has purchased your love for us. God, would you do that? Every soul in this room needs to meet with you in that way today. Would you do it, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here at Redeemer, uh, we're working our way through the book of Hebrews. And so if you haven't already, um, please take your Bibles and turn uh, to the book of Hebrews in chapter 4. Book of Hebrews chapter 4. And um, as we're working through the book, we're here today because that's the next passage. Here's what's important for you to know, is um, the last part, or actually chapter three and chapter four, are kind of one big thought. They're one big thought. And, and what the author of Hebrews is doing in that big thought is actually meditating on Psalm 95 
and using Psalm 95 to exhort Christians from a Jewish background to not turn away from Jesus. Exhorting Christians from a Jewish background to say, listen, there's nothing better for you than Christ. Cling to him. There's no greater hope for you than Christ. Don't turn away. So that's what's going on here. And this is the second part of it. So last week was the stern warning. This week is the other side of that coin. And it's a positive, joyful invitation. I said last week that, that the warning in Hebrews The warning wasn't to push anyone away from God. The warning was to say, come close and know the joy of belonging to God. So what we're going to talk about today is entering rest and um, understanding what that means and understanding this, that Jesus is the answer to all of our needs. I need Jesus I will cling to him. We need Jesus. We will cling to him. But before we dive into the passage, let me see if I can speak to us as people. One of the things that boggles me about parenting, I can say this in the second service because my kids aren't here, so this is just for you guys, okay? What boggles me about parenting is that it doesn't seem that my kids have the aptitude to enjoy anything. You know what I mean? Like, they'll beg all day. Like, Daddy, can we go to dinner at my favorite restaurant? Daddy, can we go to dinner at my favorite restaurant? Daddy, can we go to dinner at my favorite restaurant? Right? And so, so finally you're like, yes, son, we will go to dinner at your favorite restaurant. What time are we going? You know, like, and so on. And so finally you get to the restaurant and you get your menus. And as a, as a parent, you just want to kind of settle in and then go, thank you, Daddy, for bringing me to my favorite restaurant. That's not what happens, right? What happens is, can we go out for ice cream after this, Daddy? So they don't enjoy a single bite of the whole meal at their favorite restaurant because they're posturing for ice cream afterward, right? And then as a parent, you're left with the choice. Do I, do I displease them or do I say, yes, yeah, so, okay, yes, we'll go out for ice cream. And then we get to the ice cream place and we place our order. And before they even get a spoon to take their first bite, daddy, do I have to go to bed when we get home? It's like, like can you just stop and enjoy something for a minute? Is that just my family or do you guys resonate with that? So before we dive into Hebrews 4 today, I wonder if you're like my children. I don't mean that as a compliment, actually. But I wonder if we're guilty of not slowing down and enjoying the God who poured his love out. Upon us. I wonder if we're guilty of failing to slow down and truly rest in the presence of God, believing that we don't have to earn His love or His mercy or His favor. I wonder if we're guilty of posturing to look holy and, and spiritual and failing to rest in the blessing and the love and the mercy that Jesus purchased for his children. I just wonder if we use words like gospel and salvation and phrases like praise the Lord so much that we just get inoculated to the reality that at great cost to himself, 
God sent his son to take away all of our sin and our brokenness and our ugliness and forgive us and love us and accept us and call us the children of God forever. I believe those truths give rest and I believe that's what this passage is inviting us to. So, our sermon today is entitled Entering Rest. The main point, if you want to follow along, is we need Jesus and we are called to settle for nothing less than basking in and enjoying his love and mercy and grace and acceptance, which he extends to all who believe. That's the main point this morning. So if you want to take notes, the first and the predominant point is entering rest. Entering rest. And so one of the main kind of points in this passage is the idea of rest. If you just count the words that show up the most, it's the word rest, 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 rest. And so before we dive in, I just want to show you that that's the invitation of this passage is entering rest, but then we got to ask ourselves, what is rest in a biblical concept? So chapter four, verse one, therefore, while the promise of entering his, that's God's rest, still stands. Verse three, for we who have believed entered that rest. Verse eight, since therefore it remains for some to enter it being the rest. Verse eight, for if Joshua gave them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore, verse 11, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. I hope you'll just grant me from a sheer preponderance of repetition that the author of Hebrews wants you to wrestle with this idea of resting in Jesus and long to rest in Jesus. So then the question before us is what is the rest that he's talking about? And I promise you it's not what you're thinking. Because we're all busy, overwhelmed suburbanites who sit in our cars for far too long, who sit in pickup lines for far too long, who chase children's activities far too frequently, who never have a moment to sit down and enjoy anything. And so anytime we hear the word rest, we think silence and naps and muscles not doing anything, correct? I say rest, you say an absence of activity. And all the fathers here say, you better check me out about 1.30 today, right? Men, if you haven't asked for that for Father's Day, you have gone far wrong and you need, to, you need to amend your request right now. But that is not what we're talking about here. Nowhere in the scripture are we promised a cessation of activity. Nowhere. You could quit your job, quit your family, move to a hidden alcove on top of a mountain where servants will wait on your every need for the rest of your life where you never have to get out of bed again. And some of us are like, hallelujah, bring it. (laughs) And you still need the rest 
that Jesus offers. Because the rest is not cessation of activity. The rest is freedom from having to live under the weight of earning the love and mercy and acceptance of God. The rest is coming into God's presence and saying, I'm here because I'm with Jesus and I trust that you accept me and I trust that you love me and I don't have to pretend to be what I'm not and I don't have to posture to look more holy than I really am and I don't have to fake anything because you knew it all and you died for me anyway. That's the rest. And that will speak to your weariness. That'll speak to your depression. That'll speak to your anxiety. That'll speak to your fatigue. That'll speak to your desire to not get out of bed in the morning. Every bit of that is the promise that Jesus brought. So the rest that's being promised here is ceasing from the spiritual weight of trying to earn the blessing and the favor and the love of God. So, let's look at what the passage says. The passage talks about rest quite a bit. It says there's an invitation that stands for us to enter into this rest. It says, verse 3, verse 2 and 3, that the rest is entered through faith. Meaning, we enter the rest not through our works, but we enter the rest by believing the promises of God and trusting that they are true of us. Verse 4. So verse three, the rest is for everyone who has believed. If we're in Christ, we have entered the rest. Verse four, the rest is about being in God's presence. So it says that God's works were finished from the foundation of the world And God spoke of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. Why did God rest on the seventh day? Because he had done everything that he needed to do to create the world in such a way that it would serve his purposes and glorify him. So God rested on the seventh day because the work was finished. And God had his creation glorifying him and him enjoying it. And it was the way it was to be. And while the world has rebelled against God, God's presence and God's love and God's mercy and God's ministry are the rest. And then it's going to make reference to the Sabbath day. And it's going to make reference to the promised land. So in the Old Testament... God had his people Israel. They ended up in Egypt. Then they were in slavery. Then he delivered them from slavery. He parted the Red Sea. He let them out. He put the Red Sea on his enemies. And the people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, waiting to enter the promised land. What was special about the promised land? Well, it talks about as a land flowing with milk and honey. But ultimately, what was special about the promised land was it was going to be God's people in God's place at God's time for God's purpose. That was what the promised land was intended to be. And that's what they yearned for. 
So, the, but, but here's what we need to know. Verse eight says, the promised land was never the goal. It was just an appetizer. It says, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So the promised land was just to be an appetizer to show us what this rest looks like. The rest is God's people in God's place for God's purpose in God's presence forever. And the promised land was just a foretaste of that. It talks about the seventh day. In the Old Testament, on the seventh day, you were not allowed to work. On the seventh day, you were not allowed to labor. On the seventh day, you were not allowed to go out of your home more than a certain distance. On the seventh day, you were to cease from working. But the purpose of the Sabbath was never to stop working. It was to focus on the Lord. The purpose of not working was to focus upon our need for God and what he could give us. So this passage is all about a rest that has nothing to do with our physical bodies getting a little relief. Jesus is not like the ultimate masseuse that makes our muscles feel better. He's not like the ultimate nap that makes us feel physically restored. Our physical needs are only there to show us how much we need our spiritual needs to be met in Christ. By all means, take a day off. By all means, rest a little. By all means, set aside some time. But for a farmer who lived on the sweat of his back and the fruit of his hands, to take a day off and not touch a crop was about faith. It was about trusting that God would provide. It was about trusting that God loves his people and he will bless his people and I will trust him. Him. So this rest is not a physical one. It's the rest of our souls from having to try to earn the approval of God. Now, in the spirit of time, I made a last minute call right before the service, and I told Dan to cut some things out of the service so we would get done on time. And one of the things I mistakenly cut out was a really important scripture reading that would help this whole conversation from Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. Jesus talks about this idea of rest, and listen to what he says. Matthew chapter 11, beginning verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. So let's pause there. What what Jesus is saying is the only way to the Father is through Jesus. What Jesus is saying is we only know the Father through Jesus. Jesus. Now, Jesus is going to give an invitation. Well, how do, we get, how do we get Jesus? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, let's pause there. What's the rest? Most of the people who are hearing this were agrarian folks who earned their livelihood through the hard work of their backs. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Come to me, and I'll give you a, a day off. I'll give you a year off. No. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's Jesus saying? He's saying the rest that I offer is for your soul to cease striving to earn God's approval and favor and love. And that is the debilitating reality in your life. Jesus wasn't really talking to farmers as much as he was talking to Pharisees. Jesus was talking to those who were trying to perform their way into the kingdom of God. And he's saying, I offer you something very, very different. The rest that's being offered in this passage is the freedom from having to live under the weight 
of disappointment and guilt and fear and shame. It's the freedom from having to live under the weight of posturing ourselves to cause God to love us and believe that Christ has given us that through his life, his ministry, his work, his death, and his resurrection. That's the rest. Have you ever tried to earn the approval of a human? Have you, ever, have you ever lived under that weight? Look, I wasn't the cool kid in school, so if you were the coolest kid, this isn't going to resonate, but if any of you were the uncool kid like me, like you just wanted the cool kid to think you were cool too, you know that feeling? Or if I could just get the boss's attention so I could be catapulted up the food chain, or if I could just get that raise or just get that promotion or, or just get my son to catch that coach's eye so that he could be invited onto that really special team. You know those type realities that we, we live in, in, in in a fallen world? I can't think of much more debilitating than letting every decision in my life being dictated by whether or not it's gonna help me earn another person's approval. I got one person on my left that's been there before. So we're gonna keep talking. The rest of you guys just go with us, Okay. But you know that feeling like if I wear this outfit today, will I have their approval? If I don't say that, but I say this, will I finally get their approval? If I act out in class and make fun of the teacher, will I get their approval? If I post this on Twitter, will I get their approval? If I like all of their Facebook posts, will I finally get their approval? If I heart all their Instagram pictures, will I finally get their approval? If I start posting my own pictures that look a whole lot like theirs, will I You know you all do it. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. But that is a debilitating, painful, unenjoyable, overwhelming, back-breaking way to live, right? Well, you know what the Bible says? It says that ever since the fall, we've been all been hardwired to live that way before God. I'll do just enough to counterbalance the scales. I'll do just enough to show God that I'm good enough. I'll do just enough to, to set aside the, the weight of my transgression and my rebellion. What the scripture says is we're all people who are hardwired apart from God's grace to earn, to attempt to earn God's blessing and God's mercy and God's love. And I promise you, there is not a more debilitating, wearying, joy-sucking way to walk through this world. This passage says, there's a promise of entering a rest that delivers us from all of that. So what does this mean? Number one, it means we need Jesus deeply, deeply. Because to explain the point, I had to go to some uncomfortable places. We need Jesus deeply. It's very easy for us to look out and see the person that's making visible train wreck of their lives and say, you need Jesus. It's a lot harder when we have it all put together and we come to church on Sundays and we, 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 we look the part to look deep within our souls and say, and I need Jesus. Our confession of faith, which will be blessed, through which we enter the rest, is this. I need something from God that I cannot earn, and Jesus gives it all to me. That's our profession of faith. And so our profession of faith now and forevermore is I need Jesus, and he is good. 
I need Jesus and he gives me everything that I need so that I can stand in the presence of God free and accepted and without anxiety and without fear, not having to posture to be more holy than I really am and not having to perform in any way. God looks on my being in all of its brokenness and he sees the righteousness of his son. There's no truth more freeing than that. So this invitation to rest says, come to Jesus. He's the door through which you enter the rest. Now, friends, Jesus is the door through which we enter the rest, which means this. We're in a strange place right now. Because ultimately, the rest that's being talked about here will be fully experienced when we are no longer in this life. It will be fully experienced when we're gone from this world. And it will be forever. But this passage talks in the present tense. It talks like we can experience the rest now. And so if you're here today and you're far from God, if you're here today exploring Christianity, if you're here today because you just got bludgeoned to be here and you're like, why am I here? This is why Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest for your souls. Enter in. Enter in. I would also say that we, as the children of God, we must set our minds upon the reality that we're intended to experience this rest in the here and now. That the rest that Jesus has brought us is intended to bear fruit now. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So what I want to say to you is the rest that Jesus is offering us is not a freedom from, from living lives of effort. It's a freedom to live lives of effort bathed in the promise that God accepts us and loves us and our works are not required to earn his love and his acceptance. So I believe often when preachers stand up and talk about rest, Christians often hear, stop doing stuff. But you can't square that with the New Testament. The New Testament says live, it says go, it says read, it says pray, it says serve, it says love. You can't square that with the New Testament. So what the New Testament says is in Christ do differently. So prayer can be a debilitating work or it can be the pursuit of rest in God. Debilitating work for prayer would be, I have to do this to get God to listen to me and maybe God would choose to be nice to me like a genie of some kind. That's gonna be debilitating. It's gonna suck the life out of your soul. On the other hand, I trust that the God who made the heavens and the earth welcomes me into his presence because of his son and his son intercedes for me as I talk to him, making my prayers acceptable and his spirit takes the groanings of my heart and and speaks them before the throne of God. And so I'm gonna come into his presence and I'm gonna commune with him and I'm gonna do it freely. That's an act of faith and that is an act that causes us to rest in God. So I'm inviting you to that kind of rest, not the lazy kind, but that kind. What about the Bible? 
Bible study can be a debilitating activity or it can be an act of rest in God. Well, I got to read the Bible because I got to go to Sunday school on Sunday and I got to check how many times that I read the Bible this week. And if I don't check enough, I might feel bad about myself. And if I feel bad about myself, God might feel bad about me. And if God feels bad about me, I don't know how to make him not feel bad about me. So I'm going to read the Bible. Trust me, that's a weight that you don't want to carry. And that is a burdensome way to read the scripture. And that's a way to start to hate the scripture. Over here, God has spoken in his word. And when I open the scripture, I'm reading the very words of God. And I can know God and know what he calls me to and know of his love and be bathed in his grace. So I'm gonna open the scripture and read. That type of Bible reading is an active rest in Jesus. So I invite you into that active rest. Ministry. Megan, are you in here? Megan Dukes, going once, going twice. Oh, good, good. I, can, I can say this freely. Okay. Ministry, likewise, can become debilitating or it can become an active rest in God. Well, if I go down there and, and change diapers in the toddler room, then I don't have to feel as guilty about how I lived this week. And if I go down there and change diapers in the toddler room, maybe God will have favor on me because we all know no one really wants to be in the toddler room. Or maybe it's the middle school class or whatever. You can insert whatever. It's like a Mad Lib. You can insert whatever you want to there. But I got to do this because Christians do it. And, and I, I'm just telling you, that's a debilitating way to serve God. And if that's how you're serving, you might want to rethink it. That's the part that Megan didn't want me to say, but you might rethink it. But over here, I believe Jesus died to build his church. The church of Jesus is the one institution in the history of the world that will never fail and I'm going to invest in that. And I believe that every human that's a part of the church belongs, is important to God. And I want every human that sets foot on this property to have an opportunity to feel the love of Jesus and hear of the love of Jesus and know the love of Jesus. So I'm going to sign up to serve with the toddlers. I'm going to pray for them while I change their diapers. And I'm going to pray that one day they'll be up there being baptized. And I was a part of that process. That is an act of rest in God that's life-giving. That's what we're being invited to today. Mission, missions. Often preachers like me stand up and preach missions either through you should feel guilty or you gotta do it. And I can't think of a more debilitating way to live than I gotta go knock on my neighbor's door so I can check a box to say that I did so that I could feel like a good Christian. I can't think of a more debilitating way to live than to think that I have to do certain things towards certain types of people or God's love extended to me was only conditional. That's a way to fail. But over here, Jesus died for every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. And he could have reached them however he wanted to, but he chose to do it through his church. And he's sending us. And I am excited to be a part and humbled to be a part of how Jesus is going to complete his mission. So I'm gonna go and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna set up shop. That is, it's tiring physically, but that is a, is a joyful way to rest in God and be a part of what he's doing in his world. I invite you to that approach to mission. And all forms of sacrifice, taking somebody a meal, mowing their grass, picking their kids up from school, 
listening to them on the phone for three hours when you don't have 30 seconds to give them. All forms of sacrifice, if done because you feel like you have to do it or God's going to snub, look down his nose at you and be angry at you, will debilitate you and you'll live your life chasing after God's favor. But over here, God loved me, so I will love. God served me, so I will serve. God cares for me, so I will care. That is a way to live in the rest that Jesus brought us. So hear this very clearly. This passage is an invitation to rest in Jesus, but it's not an invitation to live a Christian a Christianity devoid of activity. It's calling us to live our Christianity in a different way. So here's what I can tell you. Your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people you hang out with at extracurricular activities, they don't need anything else to do. They're plenty busy, just like you are. They don't need another commitment to make them feel inadequate. They're good on that front. They need a hope that all the stuff we're doing is worthwhile. They need a hope that all the stuff we're doing can be redeemed and restored and made new. And if we're in Christ, we have that hope. So my question for us as Christians is will we challenge ourselves to lean into the rest that Jesus brought us And will we ask ourselves, where am I not leaning into the rest that Jesus brought us? Because our joy hinges on it. Our endurance hinges on it. And our appealingness to the world hinges on it. So this is yet another one of those classic moments in the scripture. What God is calling to us is what we need most. What God is calling us to is what we need most. They work together. Therefore, while the promise of his rest still stands. So the second point, which I promise will be shorter, an invitation. This passage is an invitation. An invitation to what? To come into the rest that God offers his children through his son. Remember, it's on the heels of a sharp warning. So perhaps I should say, It's also an invitation to let your life rest in Jesus the way your words say that you do. To let our families rest in Jesus the way our words say we do. To not settle for anything less. The rest is not received by genealogy, family, or performance. The rest is received by faith in God's chosen means of salvation. And his name is Jesus. I know I haven't touched verses 12 and 13. We'll come back to them next week. But today there's an invitation for all of us. While the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us fear lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach it. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. We need Jesus. We need Jesus badly. May we experience how much we need him.
our Father and our God. Pray that you would work in this room, that whatever needs to be said, taught, or done, that you would do it. Pray you would cause your people to believe your gospel, pursue you, lean into you, follow after you. Pray this in Jesus' name.